As we move through the text this morning, I encourage you to think about the words that we have sung because you will hear similar themes uh, popping up. That is not by accident. Pastor Steve works diligently to do that. But the concepts and the words of Scripture in song. When Peggy and I graduated from college, we had the opportunity to travel together on a gospel team to Australia. And one of the things that that brought was the opportunity to pretty much see her on a daily basis, rub shoulders with her in some kind of mundane situations, day-to-day life, but also in ministry settings. And it just kind of confirmed for me what I already was pretty sure of, that that was the woman I wanted to marry. And rubbing shoulders with people in daily kinds of settings, even in mundane daily kinds of activities, does build relationship and helps us to know who they are. And and we come this morning to a couple of chapters in the book of Joshua that you and I might look at and think, those are pretty mundane, they're pretty ordinary. What do they even have to say to us as followers of Jesus in the 21st century? So I want to encourage you to, to stick with me this morning as we unfold the passage and come to grips with what it's teaching us about God. Because chapter 20 is going to be a chapter about the cities of refuge that were established in Israel where the Levites lived. And then chapter 21 is almost all a record of the cities in which those Levites lived, even more than the cities of refuge. And we could look at that and think that's not very exciting, and on the surface it's not. But these chapters teach us about God's character and about refuge. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 20 as we begin to think about what God wants us to learn from these passages. Because all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for us. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. Here's the first truth about God. God provides refuge. He provides refuge for defendants who run to Him. That those who are at risk can find a safe haven in God. And that's important for us to come to grips with because God's heart is for mercy and justice. And the Middle East was, and to some extent still is today, a place of vengeance. So that if you happen to kill a member of another family or clan, then they will avenge themselves on you. In fact, there was an avenger, the avenger of blood, It's actually the word goel. It's the same phrase we find in the book of Ruth about the kinsman redeemer. This guy had a lot of responsibilities. And one of them was when a family member was killed, he could seek revenge. But God understood what we understand as well, that when you seek revenge, then somebody seeks revenge on you, and you end up in this endless cycle of bloodshed and violence. And so before Israel ever even entered the land, God spoke to Moses and he established cities of refuge, places where a defendant could run to 
if he was innocent of murder. It's interesting that the, the word for refuge is the word miklot in Hebrew, which today in modern Hebrew is used for bomb shelters, a place where you can go when, when the bombs start falling, when life is falling apart. And this was a city to which the Israelites could run when their lives were in danger and falling apart. Israel's now in the land, as we've seen. It is mostly pacified. The tribes have received their inheritances. We've talked about the last couple of weeks. And so it is time to implement what God had talked to Moses about. Because you see, God is concerned about. He has a heart for mercy. And the key phrases in verse 3 are without intent or unknowingly. When a person was guilty of what we would call today manslaughter, not premeditated murder, and yet the avenger of blood was going to come after him, he could run to the city of refuge. We need to back up into some passages that also talk about these cities of refuge and just get some context for this. In Numbers 35, which has an extensive portion about these cities, but if he pushed him suddenly, without enmity, without hatred, or hurled anything on him without lying in wait, or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then he could run to the city of refuge. Deuteronomy 19 also talks a lot about cities of refuge. And it gives an illustration as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. So it's not murder, it's what we would call today manslaughter without intent. And so we get a glimpse into Israel's legal system. The idea of intent, the idea of evidence, in other passages, there have to be two witnesses. And so Joshua continues on with describing what happens. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of that city and explain his case before the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. So the scene is something happens and somebody dies and, and the person runs and they arrive breathlessly in the gate of the city of refuge and they explain to the elders what's hap what has happened and the elders say, okay, that sounds plausible. So it's kind of a, what we would call today a preliminary hearing. So they take him into the city, but that's not the end of it. Verse 6 says, he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment. So a preliminary hearing, but then there's a trial, probably back in the city where it occurred or nearby that, where this person who has caused the death of another will stand before, what we would say today, a jury of his peers. And the case would be presented and evidence will be laid out and then a verdict will be given. And so going back to Numbers 35, we find the kind of evidence that would be looked for. If he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. If he struck him down with a stone tool that could cause death and he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that could cause death and he died, he's a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. 
The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. And if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him lying in wait so that he died, or in enmity and hatred struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He's a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So the flip side is also true. If in the course of the trial they find out this man didn't use an instrument, he didn't intend, he didn't lie in wait, he didn't hate the person ahead of time, then that evidence would, would yield a not guilty of murder verdict. And he would be allowed to stay in the city. God is concerned. He has a heart for mercy. But he also has a heart for justice. And we see it in those verses we just read. Because if the man is proven guilty of murder, he forfeits his life. He is executed by that avenger of blood. Life for life because God values human life. And even if the death was not premeditated, there was a price to pay. Look at Joshua 20 verse 6. And he shall remain in that city until he stood before the congregation for judgment. And he remains in that city until the death of him who is the high priest at the time. Then the, man, then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So the death of a person is serious enough, even though it was manslaughter, it wasn't intentional, there's a price that has to be paid. The person who caused that death, even accidentally, stays not under house arrest, but under city arrest in the city of refuge. He's not allowed to leave. He can't even, Numbers tells us, pay a fine and then leave. He has to stay there. Now, that's some protection for him because he doesn't go out and the avenger of blood can't find him. But it's also a price of a loss of some of his freedom because God values the sanctity of human life. And so that person stays there until the high priest dies. Nowhere in Jewish literature do we get a full explanation of what that is about, but most speculate that when the high priest died, it was kind of a time of general amnesty. The statute of limitations has expired, and so the person could return to their hometown. But I want you to think about that mercy, that grace that's extended, because there are aspects of it that aren't fair. Let's say, since he's sitting right down here in front, that, that Marty Foster accidentally killed somebody 20 years ago. And he's been in the city of refuge for 20 years. And two weeks ago, I accidentally killed somebody. And I go through all the hearings and the trial, and I'm found not guilty. And I'm in the city of refuge. And, and I'm no longer, I am just got there two weeks before, and the high priest dies. Guess what? We both go free. He spent 20 years there. I spent two weeks there. And you say, that's not fair. Yeah? Grace and mercy very often aren't fair. They're not something we earn. It reminded me as I was studying this this week of, of Jesus' parable about the laborers in the vineyard and the man who goes out and hires some at the beginning of the day and then he hires them at the end of the day and they all get the same wage and the guys who worked all day are ticked off. And he says, hey, it's my money to do with as I wish god's grace is his to dispense as he wishes and and we're just kind of reminded of that in this picture god is merciful and he is gracious he has a heart for that and none of us deserve it god's heart is for mercy and justice for all 
people. There there was a city of refuge within easy reach of everybody in Israel. And so we get to chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, and it's a list of cities, and it's like, what does this have to do? But let's read it. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, and now our ears perk up. We say, oh, I know that. That's the city Caleb took. We just talked about it last week. So now Caleb is sharing his city with the Levites and as a city of refuge in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. And you're saying, okay, that's nice. A map helps us. Notice, on both sides of the Jordan, there's a city in the north. There's a city in the midland. There's a city in the south. So that nobody who accidentally kills someone is very far away from refuge. And Jewish tradition says that wide roads were built to these cities and bridges were built across ravines and the roads and the bridges were maintained. And at strategic spots, there would be signs that said, Miklot, refuge, that way. And the city gates were open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that you wouldn't run to the city and find the gate locked and the avenger would get to you before you got in. But even more than that, verse 20 says something pretty startling in that culture. These were the cities designed for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there. It's not just for the Jews. It's for those who were in the land who were sojourners, who were foreigners. And that would have been a foreign concept in that culture. And yet God's heart is for mercy and justice for all people. So the cities of refuge teach us that God provides refuge for defendants who run to him. But this isn't just a a nice chapter about Israel's judicial system. It's a picture. The author of Hebrews loves to use the Old Testament and, and allude back to things in it. And there's one in Hebrews that we could almost read past if we ignore the cities of refuge. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, We read, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge. Where? We might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where is the refuge in the New Testament? It's Jesus. It's the cross. And there is a huge difference between refuge in the Old Testament and refuge in the New. Because those cities of refuge, if I murdered somebody and I ran there and I was guilty, there is no refuge But every one of us are guilty sinners in the eyes of God. There there should be no refuge for us, but there is in Jesus. Because you see, at the cross, there God's mercy and God's justice meet. 
And God's justice is poured out on Jesus. He gets the death and the punishment that we deserve so that we can receive mercy, so that we can receive grace. And notice how the author of Hebrews weaves in the idea of the high priest. Because our high priest died. Amnesties declared. We are free. But our high priest also rose from the dead. And he intercedes for us. And so Paul can write in Romans chapter 8 that for those of us who are in the refuge of Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So my question for you this morning would be, have you run to the city of refuge? Have you run to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins? There's refuge in him and like the city of refuge anyone can run to jesus god loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life john 3 16 everyone can run to the city of refuge that is jesus christ but we have to run to the city it's not enough it was not enough for an israelite to say yeah, yeah, I killed somebody and I know there's a city of refuge out there somewhere and I believe if I ran there, I'd be safe. If he didn't or she didn't run there, there was no safety. And it wouldn't have been enough for an Israelite to say, oh, there's a city of refuge. I'm going to run there and get really close to it. There are a lot of people who get really close to Jesus. They know a lot about him. They go to church, maybe they even attend church, but they've never run to him for refuge, for forgiveness of sins. And an Israelite couldn't just pick any city. Couldn't run and say, hey, I'm in Bethlehem, I'm safe. No, you're not. And God's established only one refuge for sinners. And that's Jesus. There's only one way to be right with God. And that's through the high priest who died and rose again for us, paying for our sins. For an Israelite who killed somebody accidentally in the Old Testament, there was no hope except for a city of refuge. And there is no hope for any of us apart from Jesus Christ. Because we all stand condemned, but in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation. Because we're in Him. For those of us who have run to the refuge, we now need to be Little refuges, little cities of refuge, small are. Jewish tradition says that there were people who were watching along the way who would help those defendants run and, and who would even run with them. And that's kind of a picture for us who have received refuge in Christ. We come alongside people and we become as a church a place where people can tell their story and find refuge in Christ and we point to the refuge. God provides refuge. There's a second truth that we see about the character of God that's interrelated to this one. It's in chapter 21. And it's that God provides restoration for the guilty who come to Him. Because you see, we deserve judgment. We don't deserve refuge, but God provides it. And He not only gives refuge, but He restores us to usefulness. God's grace can turn failure into blessing. 
And that's the message of chapter 21. And some of you, I know, in fact, I talked to somebody after the first service, you like to kind of read ahead to what we're looking at. And some of you may have read, I won't ask for a show of hands, but may have read chapter 21 and thought, what in the world does this have to do? What in the world is Pastor Bill going to find here for us? I'm going to ask you to be patient for a minute because there is the truth about God that we see on the screen, that he is one who provides restoration, but we've got to dig a little to get to it. Several times in the book of Joshua, God says to the Levites, you are not going to get any land. You're just going to get cities scattered among the tribes. But there's more. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. The Levites have no portion, chapter 18, among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And so they don't get a specific area of land. They get cities, but they get the priesthood and the sacrifices. And even better, chapter 13, verse 33, the Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. God says, you're not going to get a piece of physical ground other than the cities I'll put, give you to live in, but I will bind myself in special relationship with you. I am your inheritance. That, that's amazing grace, but it's even more amazing grace when we understand a little more of the backstory about the scattering. To do that, we've got to go back into the book of Genesis, back to Genesis 49, where Jacob, the patriarch, is speaking to his sons who will be the the, the beginning of these tribes. And he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. And he's talking about Genesis 34, where Simeon and Levi deceived the people of the town of Shechem and then went in and slaughtered the whole town because what had happened to their sister. And Jacob says, they are violent, evil men. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it's cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And then we come to Joshua. And we see God saying that scattering of Levi, it's going to be a blessing. It's going to be a blessing to them as I bind myself in relationship to them and I will be their inheritance. But we never can presume on grace because Simeon is also cursed here. And his curse is never turned aside. In fact, if you look at at Joshua chapter 19, you'll find that the tribe of Simeon didn't get a region of the land. Instead, they were given cities within the region Judah got. And eventually, they become absorbed into the tribe of Judah, and they virtually disappear from Israel's history. But God graciously transformed Levi's failure into blessing. Grace is never earned but we see a glimpse of what it was that caused God to intervene in this way. Apart from simply his sovereignty and his grace, there's another backstory. It occurs at Mount Sinai. 
When Moses is up on the mountain, you remember, and getting the Ten Commandments and the law of God, and down below, Aaron's making a golden calf, and Israel's worshiping the golden calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. They demonstrated a willingness to come to God, a loyalty to God. And in fact, Moses alludes to this in Deuteronomy 33 and saying this is one of the reasons God extended grace and changed their failure into blessing. But it wasn't just blessing for them. Blessing can then spread to others. And so the tribe of Levi is blessed, but they are blessed so that they are a blessing to the the whole nation of Israel. That's grace. Look at what we're told in chapter 21. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. And I know most of you, except those of you who are very nicely sitting close to the front, can't see the names, but I just want you to see the dots up there. And realize that they are scattered all over the land. And there are 48 cities. 38 of them are west of the Jordan. 10 of them are east of the Jordan. Nobody is more than maybe 10 miles away from a Levitical city. Most tribes had at least four cities. The tribe of Simeon and Judah joined as nine. Naphtali as three. And they're spread as a blessing among the whole nation of Israel. As God's representatives, they're scattered among every tribe so that they can unite the nation under God. They're scattered through every tribe so that they can be salt and light in that tribe, demonstrating what obedience to God looks like and teaching what obedience to God looks like. Remember, nobody has a Bible in those days. How do you find out what God has said and what you need to do? You go and you talk to a Levite. Deuteronomy 33 says, They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. And there's one within a day's walk. You can go and find out what it is God wants and and watch this Levite and his hopefully godly character. And the blessing given to that tribe when God turns failure into blessing now flows outward to the whole nation. You see, God provides... Not just refuge. He provides restoration for the guilty who come to Him. you got to come to Him. Whatever your past, whatever your present is, you can come to Him. Whatever guilt or sin you think is too big, you can come to Him. And He will restore you and He will transform your life. That's His grace. That's His mercy. Reader's Digest several years ago, a lady wrote in and said, the formal photo or office staff arrived and everybody gathered to view the results. Not bad, one guy remarked as the picture was passed around. I think it does everyone justice. One of the women sighed, I don't want justice, I want mercy. (laughs) And how often is that true, not just with photos, but in life? We we might want others to get justice, but we want mercy. And God's a God of mercy. Every one of us are traitors against our Creator. 
But he offers us grace. Run to Jesus. If you don't know him, run to him for salvation. If you know him, run to him for the grace and the mercy that we all need for every day. The character of God is revealed in these two kind of mundane chapters. He's a God who provides refuge and restoration to guilty sinners like you and me. And how do we know that's true? Because he's faithful. We sang it. He keeps his word. And chapter 21 ends with that. And we've looked at these verses before, but I want to remind you of them because at the end of, of God being a place of refuge and restoration, we're reminded that he does what he says. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God kept his word. Israel, as we talked about last week, didn't always. And that's the challenge for us. We need to run for refuge. We need to come for restoration. Whoever we are, whatever we have done, we come to him. Because part of a purposeful pursuit is to find a place of refuge. And my friends, the only true place of refuge is in the cross of Jesus. Do you know it? If you know him, are you still running there for daily forgiveness and grace? As I worked on this sermon this week, there was an old gospel song that kept popping into my mind. And so we're just going to sing one verse of it a cappella. As we sing it, look at the imagery the author is using and then superimpose over it the imagery of the city of refuge. Would you sing with me? Beneath the cross of Jesus, I gladly take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day that's the city of refuge Christ is our hope in life and death. If you don't know him, I'll be down here in front. Pastor Steve will as well. That friend that brought you is nearby. Please talk to us before you leave and allow us to introduce you to the refuge, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And so, Father, we leave this place, most of us having found refuge already in Christ, but help us to continue to turn to you for forgiveness, for mercy and grace, for restoration. And help us to be people who point to the only city of refuge today, our Savior Jesus Christ.
In his name we pray.